0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the E podcast. This is your host, Keon Sabani. It is currently Monday, August 23rd, just after 10 p.m. Eastern. Diego Lorien is away. We kind of knew that he was not going to be able to join the show today, but we weren't sure. But uh, when I woke up today, I did get the WhatsApp voice note of death where he's like, sorry, it's impossible. He's at a cottage, and I'm just kind of happy for him, to be honest, because um, he goes away a lot. Like, this is a thing. People in Spain just go on holiday, like, every weekend. Um, I'm not even hating. I'm just mad respect that you do that. But often, Diego would join the shows from the cottage, and the Wi-Fi was dodgy. The mic was dodgy. He had kids running around, people yelling at him, like, Diego, why are you recording a podcast, come eat this burger and drink this and eat that. Um, and why also are you recording right in the middle of everything, all the action? So I'm just happy for him to just go and enjoy that instead of coming and doing this silly podcast with me for an hour. I said, Diego, I got this. Really it was all part of my evil plan because I put out a call for questions. And that was the plan today. The plan was to go through questions. And I just wanted to lock Diego in a closet somewhere so that People can stop asking Diego questions. Every time you put out a call for questions, say question for Diego, question for Diego, question for Diego. I won't lie, I'm a little bit butthurt about it. I'm a little bit salty today. So today, uh, we're gonna take some questions for Keon. And uh really they're they're barely even addressed to me, actually. I'm not even important at all. I'm just answering questions. So put out a call for questions on Twitter and Patreon, and I'm kind of gonna flip through both of them and do my best to answer all these questions. And um, as always, thanks for the support. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at Churros Tacticas. And if you want to follow us on Patreon for bonus content every Friday, we just talk about things that we don't normally talk about on Mondays. And also Diego drops some bombs for with his um, insider info with Barca. So uh, first question is from Adarsh Shetty on Twitter. He says, if you were an elite footballer, what would be your favorite... Or, sorry... If you were an elite footballer, what would be, one, your position, two, your progression between clubs and leagues, three, the country you would represent? Um, My position, which is what I've been playing most of my life, is a right-footed, inverted left winger. I love just kind of just dropping my shoulder, change of pace down the flank, um, cutting inside, playing quick passes, shooting, cutting in and shooting going on the byline and doing a square cross that's my that's my game now my second favorite position which is a total totally different position is the defensive midfielder position which I really love because I like to play there often I just love that you can see the game from there I love that you can just control organize you can talk you can distribute you can tell people where to go you can be the linchpin in midfield, you can be the supreme organizer, you can be the distributor from deep, um, maybe even make box-to-box runs, tell people to cover for you. I love that role anytime I've played it, and I can definitely tell why so many great coaches come from that position, um, just because you can see the game so well from that position. So, invert a left winger with a, uh, a shout-out to the defensive midfielder position. My progression between clubs and leagues, I love the Erling Holland approach a lot so not jumping the gun too quick because i think there's actually a lot of like good data behind you don't need to be a small fish in a big pond right away like no one really that's not really good for anyone's career i like that holland calculated regardless of his talent knew how good he was everyone knew how good he was um he went from Leipzig. He just went to Dortmund, and he had a chance to go to a bigger club. And he said, "No, I don't. I don't want my trajectory to do that. I want to just take baby steps." And I think that is the way to do it. Um, There's actually some. There was a study done um, that basically tracked boxers over the course of many years, and what they found is like the best approach to becoming good, uh, becoming a good boxer that's really confident and can go into a rink with the utmost confidence and take someone down, it's way, like, instead of, let's say, taking 10 fights, okay, where your opponent is just incredible, can just annihilate you with one punch. If you do 10 fights against that guy, while some people would might think that, like, that's the way to do it because... The better your opponent, the better you'll become over time. No, you'll just be destroyed. You'll be your your it's not it's not just that physically you'll be destroyed, mentally you'll be destroyed too. The better approach is to actually fight really bad fighters to start win. And then go slightly better fighters, win. Slightly better, win, slightly better, win, slightly better, win, slightly better, win. Slightly better, win. And by the time you get to that tenth fight against the freak, you have a way better chance of putting up an actual good fight in that situation, because you've been baby stepping it. You've been desensitizing yourself to it. You've been gaining confidence. You've been leveling up over time. Whereas if you're going right away to the fire and try to be a big fish in a big pond, you're you're not likely, you're not as likely to succeed. Now, obviously there are exceptions to this rule, and this is not hard science or hard evidence either way. Um, I'm just saying that I actually, I think that approach makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so believe what you want. I will say, obviously, if you're Messi or Ronaldo, it doesn't really matter where you are. You're just going to dominate regardless. So there are exceptions that rule, and obviously, some young players like Ronaldo de Nazario, Kylian Mbappe, at a very young age, they'll just um, they'll cement their place at a big team. So it's you know, there's it's a case to case basis. But I like the Holland approach a lot. Um, I think it makes sense, and I think he, he he's done it the right way so far. I commend him for that. Uh, what country would I represent? It's got to be Canada. My, I'm basically, I oscillate back and forth like from Canada, Spain, Iran, but I've never actually been to Iran despite that being my heritage for a variety of different reasons, which I've actually discussed recently on the podcast, uh, which I don't want to get into now. Um, So I've never been to Iran. I wasn't born there. Uh, My heritage is Iranian. I'm, I'm more Canadian than anything, and I have no real roots to Spain other than the fact that my parents... Met there, lived there, got married there. My dad was a Real Madrid fan uh, in Spain. My dad was actually a a Real Madrid fan back in Iran watching Gento and the Yeyes in the 60s lift the Champions League final on the black and white TV. That's how he actually became a Real Madrid fan, believe it or not. Um, So then he went to to Spain, went to a bunch of games, became, became an even bigger Real Madrid fan. They had to come to Canada to get a visa. Their plan was to get a visa, and then come back to Spain after one year, and then they just got too comfortable in Canada, and they say they never went back to Spain. So I was actually supposed to be born in Spain, and um, I I let my parents know about that bitterness all the time. But I'm Canadian. I uh, was born here, and I freaking love it here. And I I I represent Canada. That's that's where I'd go. I also love the idea, like you know, like when and don't pretend like you don't have these dreams. All of us dream of being a footballer, right? So, um, some of us, some of us fail and become something else. Whether it's an accountant, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's a dentist, whether it's a businessman, entrepreneur, uh, or a different sport, whatever. Um, I, you know, I tried. I, I, dreamed of being a Real Madrid player, coming, coming up, and having the number seven on my back, getting the, getting the torch passed from Raúl, being the next number seven that didn't work out, unfortunately, but, um, from a national team perspective, I actually always liked the idea of just that dream of carrying an underdog national team to like a World Cup final, so it's a much better story if you can score the game winner for Canada versus Brazil in the World Cup final than it is for Spain, because it's just a bigger carry job, so, um, I won't lie, the Canadian dream kind of resonated with me more, uh, Ritvik Kapoor says, does Alaba's offensive offering make him the first left back, even with Mendy available? I feel Mendy is better defensively, and we need that more, given what we've seen. Also, thoughts on the system where Alaba and Mendy play interchangeably as left back slash left center back at different points in the same game? Great question, Ritvik. Um, So, I still think that Alaba... When Mendy comes back, Alaba should slide to the center-back position and Mendy will take the left-back position. Now, it's a good question, and it's an it's a interesting idea to see if you could switch it and make them interchangeable where Mendy goes left-center-back and Alaba goes to left-back. Here's why I think Alaba should still go center-back. Alaba is still, um, defensively speaking, because of the space he leaves behind in the left-back position, he can be a vulnerability there. But on the inside, you get his ball progression, Plus, you get his coverage on that side. And it's just extra defensive security because Mendy's not going to leave that space behind. And if he does, he can just track back like a monster. Now, the the counter to that is uh, you lose Alaba's offensive ability, and that's a completely fair point. Um, I think Mendy is an interesting offensive prospect in a very unorthodox way where he can be a really, really good ball carrier. De facto, and analytically speaking, he's actually one of the best ball carriers um, in all of Spain and that's one of his strengths so he can carry the ball at the field obviously his crossing is not going to be anywhere near Alaba's but his cutbacks won't be bad and Alaba can still put in some diagonal crosses from the left hand side but um, Ritvik's point is interesting that they can actually be interchangeable in different parts of the game and they can cover for each other and go back and and go back and forth between this so I do think uh, Mendy as a left center back works a little bit better in a three man back line because you can actually uh, mask the lack of press resistance from his position there because he has outlets on the wing and he has outlets centrally and he ha- has outlets ahead of him and that's a little bit easier for ball progression from the left center back role in that scheme than it is from just like a four four two or a four three three. But um but I do think Alaba would go centrally and then Mendy the left back position one concern I would have um, and we talked about this on the managing Madrid podcast a couple weeks ago. The lack of aerial presence without Ramos and Baran, and we didn't have a single aerial duel won in that opening game against Alaves from anyone in midfield or defense. Meanwhile, Jose the Alaves striker had seven aerial duels won. And if you decide to bench Militao over Nacho, and and you go, let's say you go Nacho and Alaba in the back center back partnership, it's not bad on the ground. And there's actually a real good case for Nacho to start over Militao if it came down to those two because Nacho's been awesome. Militao had a better second game, but generally speaking, like, Nacho has been phenomenal. And he's actually better in the air than people give him credit for because of his height. He can actually compensate with strength and a good leap. Um, But I do worry if you go alibi Nacho, you do lose some aerial presence defending crosses. So that is another case for many to perhaps take that role, but I'm very interested to see what what Ancelotti will do. Um, Sebastian Holtuana says, Hey, Kian, a few weeks ago you answered my question about the tactical viability of Holland and Mbappe playing both for Real Madrid, but taking into consideration that Mbappe leaves a monster PSG attack to be the star, do you think he would like the idea of playing with Holland?" All right, so I guess we might as well take the Mbappe discussion now. Uh, I think there are other questions about it, but, you know, the moment Mbappé comes into discussion, we we might as well discuss everything. I just thought it was so funny to read the reports today. And, and it's not that the reports are incorrect, but this is the stage we're at. This is the daily update. This is what it's come to. Right now, it's August 23rd. And the big, the big show on Mbappé today, and it was reported by RMC Sport, which is a decently reliable uh, source that, you know, the Mbappe-PSG thing is basically irreparable at this point, and they need to sell them. And if it's not to Real Madrid, they might sell them somewhere else because they don't want to lose them for free. I don't buy that part. I think they're 100% prepared to lose them for free. But I do wonder if they're just going to, you know, think about the morale, think about Mbappe sulking all year or whatever. Um, the, the report today, one of the main things that was said was, this is where we're at. Real should have to submit... For for this transfer to happen, Real should have to submit an offer and PSG have to accept. That was the, basically the report we saw today. And it's like... So it, every day is just the same report, regurgitated over and over and over again. Um, and I just think it's basically funny at this point. If... And I, Lucas brought up a really good theory on the mailbag last week, I think it was, where he said... Um, he thinks... that. That like this deal could have been done months ago, and the only reason that it hasn't been announced yet is because PSG want to save some face and pretend like they've tried their best to keep Mbappe and that they're trying to the very last second. And that's the theory that kind of explains it for him, and it makes sense to be honest as to why the Spanish confident are so so freaking confident. The Spanish media are so confident about this deal going through this summer, so. Uh, I'm still wait and see mode. These updates weren't really that dramatic for me, to be quite honest, because they're just kind of the same things every day. But, you know, we'll see where this goes. And ultimately, PSG, as lame as it is to say, because it's been said so many times, it's in their court. Doesn't matter how many agreements Real Madrid and Mbappe have, it's up to PSG at this point. So um, that is out of everyone's control would Mbappe like the idea of leaving PSG to play with another star? Of course. What are well, you telling me? He doesn't want to play with arguably the best striker in the world, or at least a top three striker. Um, he may leave PSG, and by all accounts, he wants to leave PSG, but I don't know if that's so much to do with him wanting to get out of anybody's shadow more than it does. He's just wanting to play with Real Madrid. He obviously wants to play with the best players in the world. He does that with France. And, uh, and with PSG, I think it had little to do with the personnel surrounding him and more to do with the fact that he's just done with PSG and wants to go to Real Madrid, that's it. Um, and from a tactical perspective, I've answered this before, you're right, Sebastian, and it, and it works. Those players are versatile enough that, and Holland is an underrated ball carrier, and underrated link-up player as well, and I think the the, dynam- the dynamism of him and Benzema and Mbappe together, oh man, I'm just literally getting just sweaty thinking about it like, how incredible that would be. Um, that front three would would just light the league on fire. It would definitely work from a tactical perspective. Uh, OMG phase on Twitter says, who came up with the name Churros y Tacticas? I did. Uh, this would have preceded Diego Lorin even joining the show. I don't know. If it, I guess the OGs would know. The OGs would know that this show actually started... And Diego Lorin didn't make his first appearance on this podcast probably until like 10 or 15 episodes in. I'm, you know, I'm, my memory is a little bit fuzzy right now, but it certainly wasn't for a while. And the premise behind it was that I just wanted to do a spin-off show off of Managing Madrid where I expand the, the chat or the dialogue beyond Real Madrid and expand it to Spanish football. So I had a different Spanish football journalist on every week. And I remember my first few, whether it was... Um, uh, David Cartlidge. Uh let me think, Jeremy Barron, Robbie Dunn was on, uh, Jamie Kemp, I think, was on, Andrew Gaffney was on, this is all, by the way, like in the first few episodes, so it was like right away, I had I had all these people on, um, and you know, over the years, different people have come on the show, and, and they've come and gone and stuff, but um, the original vision of the show was having different guests on every week, and then after some time, I I started to like take note, like some of these some of these and with all due respect to the guests it's nothing personal and I won't name anything anyone I think they're all amazing people but I think over time it was just like okay some of these conversations despite me enjoying the content a lot can be a little bit boring and monotone and we started to talk about like really obscure players in Spain and like the minor details which I think a lot of people just really cared about the big three and Beyond that, just kind of some of the cool players in La Liga, not want, not necessarily wanting a, an entire breakdown of Spanish football, a recap of everything, all the scores and the players and what happened and stuff. It's kind of, kind of got, some of the episodes were, in my opinion, I'm criticizing my own show, were a bit boring. And uh, when I had Diego on for the first time, that actually was one of the most fun podcasts I've had. And I had Diego on a couple more times after that. And I kind of decided like, and I'm you know just talking to different people listeners and i mean you can correct me if i'm wrong you guys are the consumers you would know better than me but i can also say that i agree with this idea cuz i also consume podcasts that are not mine so um i kind of understand when you when listeners listen to podcasts they can resonate more if it's like two people who are on regularly and they're forming a partnership and forming a cohesiveness forming a chemistry um, and you just kind of get to know each other it's like you're sitting in the room on the couch with them just in their talk it's kind of just fun to listen to whereas if you're starting a new conversation a new connection every week it's hard to establish that um, entertainment value so Diego was kind of the most fun and I just kept going and, and to be honest Diego's such a polarizing guy especially to start but I mean he still is and that's part of the reason why he's so awesome he's not afraid to knock people off the fence he's not afraid to disagree with people and for that reason, um, pretty much any show with Diego had the most listens because 50% of people logged on to disagree and get angry and said, if you have ever have this guy on again, I'm not listening to the show. And the other half were just like, this guy's fucking awesome. And basically, the fan base just keep, kept growing for Diego. And it was awesome for the show. And I had most fun with Diego, too. So it was like a, just a no-brainer to just keep going, us two, and just keep forming that chemistry. So there uh, you go. Oh, my God. Phase a very long answer to a question that you didn't really even ask me anything else besides the name, but there you go. Um, Let's see. Ayub Hamadi on Twitter says, is football something of actual value or is it just a mere distraction? This is an interesting question. Over the pandemic, I've thought a lot about my place in society, what I'm actually doing with my life, what value I'm bringing. Um, and this are some of these are spoiled thoughts because, you know, I was at dinner recently and this is not uncommon where like anytime I'm out to someone and people are introducing me or like, you know, my friends and family are, are introducing me to other people and they're like, yo, this guy does this for a living. How cool is that? They're like, wow, you're doing a dream job. And uh, I'm always just like kind of, yeah, it's okay. It's no big deal. And I just change the subject. Um, but I, so I realized that this is kind of a spoiled privilege place to be and to even be speaking like this. And a lot of people um, tell me that they would love to be doing this. I will say like I have reflected on this thing that I do, which I still love, by the way. But during the pandemic, especially when the pandemic first broke out and I saw just the the value of people in the health profession, what they were doing when the hospitals were filling up. And football shutting down because it's obviously not an essential thing at that point at all. Um, I start to really reflect, maybe not so much about like the importance of what I'm doing, because like I believe that fundamentally speaking, I think a lot of journalists provide value. A lot of sports analysts provide value. They, they provide entertainment value. We have a responsibility to um, make people happy, put people put smiles on people's faces to bring valuable analysis. Um and we also have a platform for social media, social justice issues on, on on various topics. We have a huge voice and a huge platform, and that comes with a big responsibility, but um, a, a great privilege and something we love having access to and being able to provide value in those situations. So I see the value in it. My point is mostly like one of the things I reflected on mostly is um, we're also dependent on just like paying the bills were dependent on 22 men kicking around sphere on a, on a grass field. And if one day for whatever reason, whether it's because um, the ratings go down and people stop watching football or a pandemic shuts it down for, for an extensive period of time, like we basically just can't pay the bills anymore. So I've started to think more about like just the, what, what other value can I bring to society so that, a, it's a backup plan, and B, um, it's just something else that I can also provide to society. So, kind of getting weird here, I know, but, you know, the, when questions like this are asked, I start to go, my brain goes really, really deep on this subject, and I start thinking about a lot of things, and, and how, and in this in this scenario, I'm always thinking, like, how can I be of service to society, and is football analysis really the best service to society, and if it is providing value, uh, what is plan B if everything just shuts down again and you know what what value can I bring to society then? Because I won't lie like during the pandemic, it was a lot of like what am I doing? Like I, I really you know okay, I, I'll write, I'll work on some projects and stuff. It's like you know I can do that. but um, certainly certainly got my my brain going in all kinds of directions and I resorted a lot to fitness, which is a good thing to resort to other you know so that it's not resorting to drugs or whatever. but um, is it a mere distraction? Look. the part of this is also complicated because football is also life. Like you can't really separate it to separate it in a lot of ways. It's just like any other thing that people love, whether it's like the Avengers or Star Trek or conventions or Fortnite um or they' some part of some kind of cult and stuff. Football really means a lot to a lot of people. Um And I just remember, like, during the World Cup in Brazil when Brazil lost 7 1. And, you know, you saw those kids crying in the stadium and and people just in Brazil so sad. I saw a lot of people, like, just making fun of them. I'm like, dude, do you know what they're going through, like, in their real life? And now you got to laugh. You got to laugh at them for being heartbroken over a situation like this where they really love football. It's It's something that really brings happiness to a lot of people. So, you know it means a lot. And we we can't, we can't disvalue that or discredit that as a mere distraction. I think it's something also beautiful and sport is a beautiful thing. So it can be can go either way, depending on what your perception of is of sport, I guess, I guess everybody listening to this podcast is a sports fanatic. So they'll probably resonate with the fact that football is awesome. And i and certainly I believe that. But, um, it is interesting to ponder on the value to society when the world has to shut down and, and shit really hits the fan. So basically, long way of saying that. Shout out to all the doctors in the world who did so many amazing things and shout out to everybody in the world who did so many amazing, th- amazing things during the pandemic. Uh, all right, let me look at the patron questions. Um, Oh, sweet. We can talk about Vinicius now. Adrian Mendes says, Hypothetically speaking, if Vinicius is over being in his head and adds goals to his games this season, who is the better player between him and Ansu Fati? Uh, Jordan Frazau says, Yay, Vinicius. So happy to see him with so many goals so early in the season. Is this his turnaround year? And... Nicholas Cormier says, this is a question for Keon. After the play of Vinicius and Rodrigo, would it be possible and how good slash fun would Mbappe, Vinicius, and Rodrigo be? Who would play where if you were to try and make it work? Great questions. There's probably some other Vinicius ones that I, I actually missed so far. Um, but those are my, a quick scan, I saw those three. So Vinicius, I, a lot of you listen to this world I've already listened to the manager which is post-game podcast. And the, the clip we posted on YouTube today where we talked about, Vinicius's performance and his trajectory this season Um, so I don't want to rehash that too much will this be a turnaround year time will tell I mean look this it is crazy how many times I've lived this scenario over the past 25 years or so I've been a football fan and following Real Madrid the first three to five games of a season Really, only means so much for the grand scheme of things, and things change quickly. Vinicius can go into a big funk. We could all be laughing at this scenario um, that we're getting so excited about the first two games of the season. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Um, But as Adrian puts it, hypothetically speaking, um, if Vinicius adds goals to his arsenal, he he's a monster. He's legitimately a monster. Like, people don't get, like, how good he is in almost every aspect except for scoring leading into the season. He tracks back on the wings. He helps his wing backs. He covers. He works tremendously hard off the ball. He's a line breaker, um, especially in an era where Hazard um, wasn't the player we thought we signed. Vinicius's line breaking and dribbling is the best we have at this point uh, from a Real Madrid perspective. He's going to go at players. He has zero fear. He has a good track uh, record in big games. I mean, I, I was at maybe his first Castilla game ever. I don't know if it was his first one, but at least one of his first like couple. I was at a Atletico Madrid b de Castilla mini derby uh, in Madrid. And Vinicius just scorching them and scoring two goals and barking at them and talking so much trash. And one of the Atletico players actually bit his head. I was at that game. And then um, you fast forward like he's in the Classical that same season. He's getting called up. He's talking trash to Luis Suarez. And he's going at Diego Godin and Jimenez. And he's getting in people's faces. That kid has zero fear. And he has played, he's played pretty good in big games, whether it's Classical or those two goals against Liverpool. Um, I, I have a lot of faith in just his mentality alone. I think he has a really good head on his shoulders. And for that reason, I'm, I'm really excited about him. And maybe Carlo has unlocked something here with, you know, his his instructions to Vinicius, taking less touches in front of goal, not overcomplicating things. And if he does get out of his head and start scoring, he's going to be incredible. He's really He really is. He's genuinely going to be incredible. Um, who is the better player between him and Ansu Fati? I don't know, and I don't really want to answer the question, and I'm happy not to. And I'm happy if this becomes a cliffhanger for the next decade. I think both Barcelona and Real Madrid fans would love for that to be the case. Where maybe it's not Messi and Ronaldo, but uh, who is it? Who are like the co-stars in in those eras? Like maybe it's a, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a Bale Neymar kind of thing, kind of vibe. You know, I think both Barcelona and Real Madrid fans would love for that to be the case. So I'm happy to leave this question unanswered for now. Um, let's see. Um. Luis Berga says, hey, Kian, who are some players across the league that you're keeping your eye on as potential breakouts for this La Liga season? Interesting question. Um, didn't see this until now. Uh, okay, so off the top of my head, I think this goes back to the first Churros of the season where I was full of praise for Rodri, the Real Betis midfielder. He's got a Kubo vibe to him or an Odegaard vibe to him where plays mostly on the right or can play centrally too. As a right center midfielder, but he's left footed. He can cut and he can dribble. He's press resistant. Has a nice first touch. A little bit weak on the ball. He needs to improve on that. But I I like him. I think he's someone to keep your eye on. Um, one guy that I think goes under the radar, and I think heading into this season, I'm actually expecting him to make a leap is Raúl Guti. And not because of his name. His name is like, I honestly, when I first saw his name a f- couple years ago, I was like, this guy is going to fail. Like you're you can't live up to that name. It's impossible. But He's been, like, pleasantly surprising me. And I liked his performances against Real Madrid last season. And um, he's only 24 now. I think he's going to be one of Elche's most important players. So keep your eye on him. I think he's going to make a leap this season. Um, One more. uh, I'll give you Mbula, who I've been really impressed with. First of all, I've been really impressed with the entire Mallorca team. I really like Mbula on that right wing. Now, granted, he didn't have the best game last weekend, um, but he was still good, and he's just a really good two-way player. He's incredibly strong defensively. and ha- Him and Pablo Maffei have a really good partnership going on on the right side there, and uh, he can also dribble and get bass players. So decision-making suspect at times, but a fun player that I think you're going to enjoy watching. Uh, let's see, where are we at? Um, and how much time do I have? Currently it's ten thirty five p.m. Eastern. I'm also going to tell you my. You guys want to. You guys want me to give you my task list for the rest of the night. Um, I have to finish watching the Tottenham Wolverhampton Wolves game. Write a blurb about it in my column. I have to upload a Real Madrid Feminino podcast. I have to upload this podcast. I have to watch the AC Milan game because I've talked about Brahim Diaz tomorrow. Um, and also write a blurb about that. I also need to shower. I haven't showered all day, so. I've been just basically exercising and sitting in this chair and what else have I done? Eat, a couple meals, work on my book, work on my column, make a couple calls, organize an interview with an ex-Real Madrid player, which I'm super excited about, promote the podcast a little bit, upload something on YouTube. It's been a crazy day. Pick up the kids, play with the kids. Anyways, uh, I got a lot to do today. And it's already almost 11 p.m. So let's see how many we have left. Um, Vasco tochevski wants to know if Sevilla is a legit title contender this year, uh, especially with the additions of Lamela and Rafamir. I think they'll be where they usually are, and that's fourth place. Uh, Kia says, How underrated has missing Carvajal been for Real Madrid last season and for these last two games? I've been thinking throughout the Vasquez synth that we are just missing that defensive solidity with Carvajal. Of course, Vasquez had a great season last year and was covered up by solid defending by our center backs, but the Levante game was a blaring example. Any news on when Carvajal will be 100% fit? I'm really concerned about his health. Thank you. Uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Real Madrid's season could be made and broken on Carvajal's health. That's how important he is. More so because Ramos is gone and Varane is gone, but certainly because Ramos is gone, you you miss Ramos's leadership. Carvajal is the next leader in that back line. Um, he gives you confidence on the field. He's a fighter. I mean, you saw it immediately when he came on the field against Levante. Just tackled Clerk and kickstarted an attack to score the goal. Um, defensively, he's. Probably, In my opinion, he's actually the full stop the best defensive right back in the world. From a pure defensive standpoint, he is. And his overloads have always been dangerous. He's an underrated crosser. Um, he gets into good positions. He has a good work rate. Without him, Real Madrid are, are, are not the same. And I think Vasquez provided us a lot of good minutes from the right back position last year. But you, you, if, you if you're going to go into those games without Carvajal, Ramos, and Varan, you're already missing two of those guys. Carvajal has to be there. He's going to make a huge difference. Um, let's see. We'll take one more. Mowgli says, according to Marca, La Liga plays up to five minutes less than other top leagues per game, and is fifth overall in most time played during a ninety-minute stretch. When asked about it, Manuel Pellegrini suggested that the refs must hurry, the goalkeepers to take the quicks quick kicks quickly, the throw-ins too, <clears throat> and players shouldn't dive. Do you agree with any? And are they applicable? If you made the rules, what would you do to speed up La Liga? Thank you. Um, so, I like I'm I'm generally I'm a fan of reorganizing football from a big picture standpoint, like the scheduling, um, the way we run our competitions, the way the schedule is laid out. The uh, who we play. Like, I actually really like the idea of a uh, European Super League, but not the one that was proposed. I like one that's all-inclusive and all of Europe is involved. I like there's a lot of fun things that I would like to do to reorganize football. From a rule standpoint, there isn't that much that needs to be reorganized, in my opinion. Um, I do, like, I, I did see Wenger talking, I think it was this summer, about, like, the offside rule and how we should give the benefit of that the attacker to speed up the game because... Um, it's not only actually to speed up the game. It's because if we give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker and stop going to VAR for these marginal calls, um, we get a better product and better rating because we have more goals, more offense, more controversy, and just better ratings. And it's better. I actually agree with that. Um, I think you want to avoid marginal calls if you can, which slow the game down. Let there be mistakes if needed. Um, if they're marginal, give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker and keep going. The product will improve. Um, I have thought about the idea of a rolling clock that doesn't stop. So it's just continuous. And then at 45 minutes, it just bang, it ends. Um, Now that eliminates some of the fun injury time chaos goals we've had in previous years and throughout the history of football. So I'm not really saying either way, like what should happen there. But I just something that I thought about but I, I don't really think that many rules have to change. But I do I I do agree with Pellegrini about refs must hurry. Like some of the VAR decisions last season took way too long, and even and I'm talking about some of the obvious ones. Um, so that needs to, that needs to improve. Refs, if they're not sure, just go to the monitor way quicker instead of just standing there in in, in the middle of the field for ten minutes listening to what's happening. Um, players shouldn't dive. I mean, sure, like but that's that that's not a La Liga thing. That's a football thing and um embellishment slash diving just exists everywhere. I will say about La Liga, and one of the one of the things that always drove me nuts about it when you compared it to the Premier League was that the broadcast quality was always inferior. And I'm not talking about the commentators. The commentators in La Liga with Ray Ray was amazing. Andres Cordero, amazing. Um I'm talking about more like when you looked at the Premier League the the picture quality was better it was brighter the graphics were better the pundits surrounding they put like all these like big ticket pundits around the the games and you had that with la liga 2 to a certain extent you didn't always have it um depending on where you lived in the world i will say i think espn's done an awesome job so far at promoting a league and hyping it up the way they hyped it up all summer <clears throat> the the weeks leading up to it Uh, profiling different teams, leading with them with that discussion, putting a lot of uh, big-ticket pundits, covering them. I think the ESPN coverage has been great, and that's helped a lot. Um, So I I just wanted to say the ESPN crew have have done a tremendous job, in my opinion. Um, I think we're going to wrap it here. My voice is starting to give out too. Typically, when I don't have someone giving me breaks, my voice will start to give out after after some time so time to go hydrate um uh, and get the rest of my task list done and then back up tomorrow morning for for more of this to drive my son to daycare and uh and back at it and try to squeeze everything again in tomorrow so yeah this was fun i actually enjoyed it i really did i don't know how much you guys enjoyed it because it was just one monotone voice that was tired, just dragging through this. The benefit of also uh, recording with Diego is that I usually record earlier in the day and I had so much on my plate. I was like, I'll just put it off a little bit so I can finish some other tasks. So energy level's lower. I didn't have Diego to hype me up. Voice started to give out, Um, but we put it out. We put it out and that was the rule We, we said. We said, no matter what, if one of us can't go, the schedule is Monday to Friday, hell or high water, we are going to put the show out no matter what and uh part of myself today i would have normally i would have also just brought a guest in and i to be quite honest i was just so busy i didn't even i didn't even want to just go through the the pain of coordinating with somebody and, and trying to figure out who i'm gonna bring on so i was like i'll just do it on my own today and uh next time if i have more notice i might bring someone in but um i think i'm not sure how diego's wi-fi situation will improve by friday but uh, i'll coordinate with him ahead of time and if you can't make it i'll get someone else on the show and uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. Enjoy your Tuesday slash Monday night wherever you're listening to this in the world and take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino.